Hello and welcome to From the Recreation, where Watford have drawn nil-nil at home against Boscombe, or Bournemouth as they're known in posher parts. Uh, my name is John, uh, with me is Mike. Uh, hi. Hi. DCW. Hello. And Jason. Evening. Uh, and well, let's, let's have a talk about the game we've just seen. It was wet, torrential rain at one point, but a performance where, well, my big thing, there was no zing, there was no push for the for the line at, at the end of that game Mike but it wasn't inspiring but it wasn't horrendous no and I disagree I think they worked incredibly hard I thought they nicked a lot of the possession they did the hard stuff really well I thought they they buzzed around and and and, and were tough I thought today well organized again but yeah we're just missing that final third again is so we're just miles away from looking like looking like scoring quite frankly we don't think we've We've shored up the defence. We look much more, much more solid there. Much more difficult to beat. And I think when we look at this game, I think we do have to look at it in context in terms of Kike's reign because, as so many of his predecessors, he's come in and inherited a bit of a mess. So I think it's it's right that on one hand we look at it in, in the context of that, but also you have to look at it in the context of the season. So in the context of Kike's second reign, I think the, the signs are probably encouraging-ish in terms of he's got us being the Kike team that we expected we expected to see when he came in you know ignore that we have to ignore the Manchester City one because we'll all kill ourselves otherwise um, but take that out of the equation and it, that we look like we've got a Kike football team that might be in, in chance with being defensively quite strong but up front we are so so lacking I think what was pleasing was that organisation midfield battles I thought they did really well we lost cleverly early on which was a massive blow to, uh, you know you cannot fathom the injury woes that we're having Saar didn't play a part today cleverly who looked like he was going to be important again off early um, well back out for two months no sign of Troy coming back it's really difficult so I think for, to, to bounce back and spring back from that was a, was a fairly decent effort but you're right we didn't really look like scoring that ball. Andre Gray put that lovely ball across towards the end any touch there and it's in the back of the net the roof comes off the rookery and the season is up and running but it didn't and to be fair, I think we would have nicked that if we, we'd have robbed that, if we'd have, we'd have won the game. I think a draw was probably a fair result. If it was a boxing match, maybe Bournemouth on points. But statistically, Jason, we didn't miss as many chances today. No, we didn't create as many chances today. And we saw the problem of, of not having strikers on the pitch. So Delefeo and Pereira both wanted to drop short to get the ball, doing what they do well in sort of running at players, putting defenders under pressure. But then... They've got no one to pass to. There's no one sort of making those runs, breaking the defensive lines. And that's where we were struggling. Delafeo was holding on to the ball too long, trying to do everything himself. Pereira probably making the wrong decisions. So that was summed up quite nicely with his last pass of the day that sort of went out for a throw on uh, and sort of resulted in, in, in half the rookery and booing him for the uh, for the pass. And and that was what was frustrating today. We we got the ball wide as well at times the wing backs I thought did okay today but again they were when they were looking to put crosses into the box or when they did put crosses into the box there was no one there to to get on the end of them because everyone was sort of hanging back and, and no one attacking the ball because that's not the way that those players play but but Dista, let's go through some of these players uh, Mike sort of mentioned how Tom Clever going off so early um, and he's been playing like we expect Tom Cleverley to play in the in the last couple of games, um, but but Will you, you know in my mind is a, a, a like for like in many ways in terms of attitude and the way he sort of plays, but he, he, it was just a little bit, I think a bit too wet for Will. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think Will is suffering from 
a chronic lack of confidence like the rest of our sort of forward players really like there were times when he got the ball in the, in those little pockets when he comes inside and the the, play, the spaces that he likes to operate in and it, it, the, the thinking's there but the execution wasn't there the weight of pass wasn't quite right you saw Delafeo a couple of times sort of threw his arms up in the air and looked at him and said come on you know that's I needed it this I needed it on, on this side or I needed it quicker or whatever and, and that's but the thing about it is you can say the same thing about Delafeo and about Pereira <laughs> as well it's not making the right decision and it, and it's you, you, you can see that there is that there's a burden on that team they know they're so short of goals and that they don't have Dini and that Gray's not on form and that the other players, you know, Welbeck's gone again. And it, it, it's weighing heavy on them, I think. They know that, you know, we, we're only gonna, if we're going to score, it's probably only going to be a 1-0. You know, we need to take one, one of these chances. And that, that, is, that is weighing heavily on them. And I think you saw that at the start of the second half. Delafeu did everything right, twist and turn the defenders inside out. We took it too close to the goalkeeper. Gave him, the, gave him the chance to shut him down and the goalkeeper makes a save and there was, there was countless other moments like that as well where you think you're in good promising positions and if a team is, in, is confident like we were at times last season it's one touch out of the feet bang it's a goal but this time it's, it's looking around it's trying to make that extra pass take that extra touch and, and, and that's, that's right throughout the team I isn't did, it? I do think Delafoe looked like he was trying to shoulder some responsibility today which was quite pleasing I mean he, he is prone to the odd throwing the arms up and, and sort of almost like devolving his responsibility I think he I think he he, he took it on today he realised his role and I think that was important to see and we're going to need to see a lot more of that from a lot more players as, as the season goes on but it's chronic it's chronic I think what is that five goals in, in ten Premier League games it doesn't need anyone it doesn't need a, a podcast it doesn't need me it doesn't need Gary Lee. it doesn't need anyone to say that that is just relegation form and no wins after ten games it's just incredibly difficult to come back from I mean what we are is a team that's hanging in there now and uh, you know the the question is, it's hard to be too despondent, I think, because we do need to look at that context. We do need to look at the wider, the wider issue. We kept, we were in a mess, we were in a heap, and we still are to a degree, but we're a, a heap that's still kicking. There's still some fight there. And I think if we can get players back, and I think if we get that first elusive win, I think there is other teams in the division who are struggling, who are low on confidence as well. I think we, you know, we're, we're down in that last five, six teams. That's us for the season, I suspect. Um, but there's no, no, nothing to say we can't get out of it. But we do need to start firing. We need, do need to start firing soon. How it happens, I, I don't know. Because as DCW said, and, and, and the thing that really worries me is that decision-making in the last third, that, that isn't a new thing this year. That's something that dogged us last year and, and is the reason we didn't do better last year in the, in the end. Just... Doing, doing really, really well in terms of winning the ball, nicking the ball, getting, you know, Decore doing the biz and getting the ball when he, when he shouldn't. And us, you know, Jan Matt ferreting away and winning the ball. And then we get into that final third and, and quite frankly, quite bluntly, we just waste it. And you can't afford to waste decent possession when you're at the bottom of the league by a mile. We haven't talked about um, uh, Chalabar, Jason, since uh, he's sort of come back. He played 90 minutes last week. Look at 60 minutes in, in him today. He... he, he I think when it's him and Decore, Decore's definitely playing the further forward, where when it's Capu and Decore, they sort of do sort of mix it up a little bit and they're not quite as, as rigid. But he, he, he certainly, yeah, he sort of showed a performance today for me where you go, yeah, you are the choice because we have a player missing in Capu, but he, he did decent. Yeah, it was, it was a decent performance for him. I think there were uh, a couple of 50-50s that perhaps he could have come away with the ball and he didn't. I don't know if that's him being tentative because of the injury or what. And, and perhaps that wasn't just him either. I think there were maybe a couple of others where we didn't quite come out with the ball when maybe we should have. But but yeah, all, all in all, uh, 
better from better from Chalobah today, I think, than what we've seen in uh, when he sort of made those cameos last year. So uh, it, it's pleasing to see him back on the pitch. He's getting minutes in his legs, which is what he's what, what he would need. It was a, a worry that if he didn't get game time, that his career was going to go down the pan and that we were basically going to be ruining him as a, as a footballer. So good to see him on the pitch. Good to see him getting uh, a decent run out. And really, he only came off, I think, because Kike just wanted to switch it up a bit. And so on, on, on paper, the uh, the substitution, bringing Andre on, obviously was a more uh, attacking substitution. Um, and probably one for the, for the team rather than anything that reflected his performance. Um, the other change, some 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 changes we have to make, uh, DCW because of because uh, of injuries, some because of yellow cards, and uh, the first game at least this season for Mr. Jose Holobas uh, for not being out because of five yellow cards was today. And Messina came in now. He didn't really, you know, do very well uh, in the League Cup game, but again, another all right performance for a man who's come into a side that isn't playing amazing yeah I think it, it was solid from him today he the problem that he and Yamet had playing in, in those wide positions they were, they were getting wide a lot they were, the, the switch of play was our, was our main sort of tactic it seemed in the first half but when they, were, they had the ball and they were just like well what the hell am I going to do with it there's no one to cross it in. I'm, I've got a brilliant opportunity to cross this ball, but I've got two five-foot-something attackers who are just milling around in the number 10 position. There's no one making a run towards the penalty spot or anywhere for me to, for me to whip the ball in. Um, so I felt sorry for him in that, in that respect. I think defensively he was, he was, he was sound enough against a, a Bournemouth team who are going to run at you, Ryan Fraser and Wilson and King, a difficult team to defend against. And perhaps Hollybass would have had a... A difficult afternoon in that respect if he had played today uh, another thing he did well in the first half and, and Bournemouth were wise to this and switched it up he was winning the, the goal kicks were going to him every time and he was winning the ball in the air against Ryan Fraser so they switched that and put Billing on him and then that kind of didn't work from that point onwards but yeah solid performance from him uh, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's an able deputy isn't he but he He's never quite seized the moment, has he? Really, really, when he's had his chances. But I think that was that was you know there was he he wouldn't look at that today and say he let us down or anything. He he was fine. We said about something missing, Mike. The deputies have come in and done a job and and, and kept a, a steady ship. But can we chat about the last substitution of the afternoon? Fouquier. I did think no, really. That's a man who had a bad game against Man City and he hasn't shifted it quite yet. No, I mean, I think he did what he had to do fine. He was absolutely fine. Um, you see that pass that he went... The first first pass he made was a simple straight pass down the line and he went straight out of touch. <laughs> As I said, absolutely fine for this Watford, for this Watford team. He's, uh, he's towing the company line perfectly. I mean, look, I think the problem I've got with all, with all of them, and I know I'm deviating from your question, John, I apologise, I'll take the, the telling off after this. <laughs> How competitive is that team, is my, is my question. And I think... <laughs> We probably rode our luck to a degree. Bournemouth hit the, hit the bar, they hit the post with that free kick. You know, Ben Foster rooted to the spot. We were resorted to basically throwing away yellow cards for the last six or seven minutes. You know, the most cynical fouls you'll ever see on a football pitch. So, I don't know, you know, bringing on Dimitri Fulcrier for the last however long it was, I don't know. Is it, is it 
Is it going to change our fortunes? Is it going to change our season? It's, it's, it should have done. The magic. <laughs> it sums our situation up perfectly, doesn't it? Yeah. The fact that you're chasing yeah. a game at home to Bournemouth. Yeah. Second home game in a row where it's nil-nil and we're going for a goal. And what can we bring off the bench? Dimitri Fulquier. It's yeah. not his fault. He's, just, he's, a, he's a reasonably solid fullback. I don't think he's ever going to make you know a last great lasting impression on Watford, to be honest with you, from what I've seen so far. He'll come and he'll go. But we don't... You know, the only attacking player we had on the bench today was Andre Gray. He'd already come on, and we're struggling. There's so many players injured that there are not enough options, and that's what Kike's got to play with at the moment. Can I chuck another fullback on to try and win this game, or you know, all sort of see it out? And it's it's a bit depressing, really, isn't it? <laughs> I did think, though, in fact, we're playing Bournemouth, and his his name begins with the word foul. Uh, it might have been the the making of the entire game. I think but- I think I think we can't do our usual sort of anti-Bournemouth type. They did they did start off sort of rolling around, holding their head. They got the games game stop but uh, the last 10 minutes from Watford it was the it was the I was sat in the middle of the Elton John today and it was uh, Bournemouth fans saying, singing same old Watford always cheating and then Watford fans singing same old Bournemouth always always cheating it's just a bit of back and forth on that and I think towards the end Watford were really hanging on so I think we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll leave Bournemouth alone for a, a little bit this evening but yeah I'm not as depressed as I thought I was be, be watching it it's a, <laughs> you're not as depressed as I thought you were going to be Mike after the last few weeks we're in a hugely hugely difficult difficult situation now and, and the, the, we have to be odds against getting out of it I'd suggest unless something changes everything that's happening just has the ring of a team that's at the bottom of the league you know the injuries last week at Tottenham the decision not going for us just it just has the the absolute stink of a team I don't think so I don't think so I think the team that should be at the bottom of the league should be absolutely horrendously stupid and terrible and (laughs) dire we're not that I think we should be second bottom for the league I think we're not in the right position in the Premier League at the moment but Richard uh, Jason Richard who we sit next to he did say that Bournemouth have never beaten us when there are 11 Watford players on the pitch (laughs) (laughs) he did indeed yeah what more can you say that that is the fact and these these games against Bournemouth have always been quite tight games uh, apart from that uh, yeah, last season when we went down to 10 minutes but certainly in the Premier League era they've all been tight a little bit crazy at times and um, there was a three all away last season as well but I, I think today's game whilst a little bit championshipy at times and the weather probably didn't help it, it kind of reflected the, the two sides and the games that we've had against them in this in sort of Premier League era since we've both come up I know you're you're trying to be positive, John, as you as you always are. And Mike, you're actually not quite as um, as negative as I, as I expected to be. So I'll, I'll happily feel the breach. <laughs> I am quite despondent after that because yeah. I think if you look at the season, we've taken two points against Brighton, West Ham, Sheffield United, and Bournemouth at home, and that means we're going to have to do something that we haven't been able to do really, apart from the odd one-off here and there and putting seasons gone by. We've got to win games at, against bigger teams we're going to have to Chelsea next week all of a sudden that isn't a game you can just throw away or you can just say oh it's Chelsea they'll probably beat us they're looking really good at the moment you know that's that's a tough tough game for us and we're going to need to pull some wins out of the bag that we would you know that would be more difficult than you used than, 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 than normal and we are we're dropping points we we shouldn't really be patting ourselves on the back after a nil nil against Bournemouth following a nil nil against Sheffield United we are in desperate trouble and this group of players has got to get us out of out of a hole. We're not cut adrift yet. You know, there are some other teams that are struggling. Everton lost again today. Norwich looked like they've very much fallen back down to earth after their after their start. Uh, as if, you know, Manchester United aren't that far away in the table, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, it's going to take something special. This team's going to need to win some matches. Win a, win a match <laughs> would be a good start, wouldn't it? But... 
it just like like Mike was just saying, I think this smacks of a team that's huffing and puffing but will go down. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! Mike's surname is Parkin, his uncle Arlo, and this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson. It's Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? All right. Tired. Okay, fair enough. It's Sunday. You can uh, relax a little bit. Now, last week on the podcast, Arlo, I confidently said that Watford's non-winning run would come to an end against Bournemouth. I said we'd beat the Cherries. I was wrong, so we need to turn to an expert. That expert is you, Arlo. When are Watford going to win their first Premier League game? Next Saturday. Against Chelsea? Yes. Can I push you for a score? 2 1 to Watford. We'll take that, Arlo. Actually, 1 0. 1 0. It's going to be a bit tighter. Okay. Arlo, lovely. Thank you very much for joining us. See you soon. Bye. See you next time. Jason, at half time today, we caught up with Helen Ward, the Watford ladies' captain. They're having a rocking start to the season. You got you went down and, and down to Kings Langley and saw a, a game. Yep, saw what was their first home league game in the season at home to Cardiff City. Me being the unlucky omen that I am, they uh, they lost two 0 and it is their only league defeat so far. <laughs> What's she doing next <laughs> Saturday, by the way? <laughs> get, get, get a game for the men's team at the moment. To be honest. <laughs> so yeah, t- typical of my luck to to, to see a, a defeat. And I actually went down there with uh, with the family, so. Two adults, a kid, a programme. Um, it's half price for Watford season ticket holders. Got changed from a tenner and the football was was entertaining. We Watford were really, really good. We were the dominant side. I think Cardiff had about three shots and scored from, from two of them. They even changed their keeper at half time. I think their keeper went off injured. The keeper had a blinder in the first half, came out of the different keeper second half. Oh, brilliant, we can actually be able to... Uh, Breach, breach the Cardiff goal and it never happens and the, the, the sub-keeper played just as well the, the football from Watford was really good that day we're certainly going to try and get down there again and I think it's good value entertainment so Watford season ticket holders get down to uh, get down to Kings Langley watch the girls in action it's some good quality football we spoke to Helen at half time uh, and uh, this is what she had to say We've been in the podcast a while uh, and finding out about Watford Ladies is always a bit hard. Helen, we, we can't get away from you girls these days. It's, it's fantastic to see so much uh, coverage of, of Watford Ladies, especially how well you've been going. Yeah, it is great. It's been something in women's football in general where the, the big clubs are seen to not really be backing their women's team and not giving them as much exposure as perhaps they should. But the last few years especially, that, that's gone up and up all over the country and, and Watford's no different. We been really integrated into the club all the campaigns you know the new we campaign that's come out this week we've been involved in that and everything the club does they try and have at least one representative from the women's team involved as well and hopefully people aren't getting sick of us and the fact that we're doing quite well and we're, we're sitting top of the league at the moment probably helps but yeah it's a good place to be at the moment we're enjoying it but it has been a fantastic start i mean can you sort of I know the women's game has, has gone up so much in terms of awareness since the World Cup this last summer. You know, our WhatsApp group, we were chatting about the World Cup. We weren't chatting about the Women's World Cup yeah. and all the rest of it. We were just talking about the World Cup and following England and everything that's going on. But Watford have had a fantastic start to the season. Can you sort of remind us sort of where in the system of women's football where Watford currently play? If you want to compare it to the men's sort of league system if you like we're the equivalent of league one at the moment if we win the league we'll go up into the championship and then the top division is the women's super league which is the equivalent of the premier league so we're in the third tier it's not where we want to be by any means but hopefully if we can carry on the way we started this season we won't be there too much longer how many wins is it out of how many 
I think it's seven out of nine so far. We dropped points in a Cardiff game at home and Yeovil at home earlier in the season. I'm going to put that down to us finding our feet. We had a few new players, new system of play. These things take a little bit of time. Some of the players didn't join till quite late in pre-season, so it was just a bit of adjustment. But since since that Yeovil draw 2-2, we've we've won every game, and yeah, we've been quite ruthless in front of goal as well, which is always good. There was a problem with the pitch as well at Kings Angley, wasn't there? Did that disrupt the starts of the season at all? The pitch wasn't the best over the last couple of years, but both Watford and Kings Langley and a couple of other parties I think have been involved in relaying a new surface and it just took a little bit of time because of the weather in the summer there was not enough rain and there was too much rain and I'm no gardener but apparently this is a problem when you're trying to grow the grass so our first home game was postponed just because the pitch was probably almost ready but it was a bit unstable and so health and safety of the players uh, had to come into it but yeah, since then, the, the pitch has been fantastic and I have to give credit to all those involved because it makes it a lot easier for us to play our football. And the way we play, we like to get the ball down. So having a, a good pitch is obviously vital to that. And you've seen a lot, a lot of change in the, in the squad this year. That's, that's not uncommon in women's football. You, it's quite easy for a player to move from one team to another. Yeah, there's quite often a lot of movement um, from year to year in the summer, you know, all, all through the divisions. Obviously, in the top league, you have a lot of players have sort of two or three year contracts but you don't often get any longer than that in men's football you, you don't normally get anything less than four or five years given to a player so there's a lot of movement in all of the leagues particularly a little bit lower down where there isn't you know there's not often contracts involved so you're free to leave at the end of the season we signed four or five players from the championship which has been great for us they've brought in a lot of experience and as I said, now they've settled in and adapted to the way we've played. They're, they're really making a big difference for us on the pitch. Those girls coming down for the, for the championship, was that a big step for them or how, how did players like become available? We had three that have come down from Tottenham. They were promoted from the championship into the WSL. So they had a few changes themselves. And, you know, unfortunately for Anna, Bex and Raya, who have come in to us, they weren't offered a contract for Tottenham, which, you know, was disappointing for them. But for us, it was... It was quite handy that a local club was in that position where they were letting good players go. Another couple, one's come from London Bees as well. Her contract was up and she wanted to try something new. So these, these clubs that are in a similar sort of area to us geographically, letting players go, we're sort of like, yeah, we'll come along. But I think the fact they were willing to drop down the division said a lot about the club and how you know we try and maintain a professional standard on and off the pitch. And they've come in and they've seen that. We train at London Colney. We with the facilities that we've got to use there in the dome, in the gym, everything that at this level, not many clubs have got that. So we're very fortunate. We've got a good group of staff, a lot of staff members that put a lot of time and effort into us without much extra reward, if you like. And I think, that, yeah, as I said, the girls that have come in have recognised that and they've been brilliant. They've come straight into the group, integrated fantastically. Everybody gets on. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but we have got a really good group of girls and the team spirit's really high. We, we push each other, but we also enjoy ourselves. There have been changes in the coaching staff as well, which I guess must affect the, affect the team as well. Yeah, I mean, from the outside, it, it sort of says that we've had a change, but really it was only a change in title. Armand, who was our head coach, he works with the under-16 boys with the academy, and he got a promotion in that to become sort of the head head coach, I suppose, of that, that group of boys. So his time was a little bit more taken up by that. So he didn't want to be in a position where he maybe couldn't make a training session or a game and, and that sort of have an effect. So Clint, who was his assistant, they basically just swapped roles, but they're both very much still involved and I don't think Armand's 
missed, I think he's missed one game since then. So not a lot has changed from our point of view behind the scenes. It's just on the outside, really. And what's next? What, between now and Christmas, what's it, what's it look like? Is it just continue on with this winning run? Or is it feeling like you've, you've made a couple of steps ahead of the rest of the league? Yeah, we've got three games left before Christmas in the league. It's a bit of a fragmented sort of fixture list, which can be frustrating. We know we haven't got a game tomorrow, so it's another weekend where you, you want to get back on the pitch. When you're in a good run of form, you want to just play every, you know, you'd play every couple of days if you could. But that's the same for everybody else. We have to deal with that. Uh, it's very tight at the top still. I think every team's lost at least one game. Plymouth are the only ones that have only dropped three points. But yeah, we play them on the 8th of December, which will be a big game. We're playing them at Home Park, which is obviously their men's stadium. Brave of them to put us on a big pitch, but hopefully we'll we'll enjoy that one. But yeah, I think come Christmas, we'll have a good idea of where we're at. We'd have played everybody in the league by then. And I don't know about you, you came to watch the Cardiff game, but for me, we had enough chances to win that twice over, um, which we're now taking a lot more of those chances. So if we can keep doing that, I'd genuinely think that there shouldn't be anyone that can compete with us in this league but we're a bit of a scout we're a Premier League club we've got the Watford badge we're, we're sitting at the top at the moment so everybody up their game against us and that, that's for us to deal with but hopefully with those players we've got the experience we can do that. Before the game I caught up with Adam Leventhal probably known to most Watford fans for being a Sky Sports presenter uh, as well as the man who does the Tales from the Vicarage live events uh, I got up with him because he's got a new job uh, and we find out a little bit more about that and how he is now covering Watford FC. Adam, when I saw you joining the Athletic, I thought, is he making a, an early uh, or a late run for Tokyo 2020? <laughs> but the Athletic isn't about athletics. It's uh, What is it exactly? It's an online platform, which uh, is the home of sports journalism, which you probably wouldn't get elsewhere. In-depth, long reads, features and dedicated coverage of your club. And fortunately enough, I'm in a position to be covering Watford. And, you know, every team in the Premier League has their own dedicated uh, journalists doing that. And some teams have, you know, a couple of journalists and then you've got players in a sort of a number 10 floating role that can cover all sorts of different things. Yeah, it's a, it's a great bunch of people, a lot of, you know, far better journalists than me, experienced written journalists doing great things. And it's, it's producing a lot of great coverage yeah, it originally came from America but this yeah. is like them launching over here yeah. but in your first you know you started in August yeah. um, and uh, how's it been like trying to look at Watford as a journalist and look at it a little bit a bit wider and maybe not trying to pick things apart as much as a normal journalist would do covering Watford week by week um, yeah I don't I, I think that there is still a certain element of that I think you you know you have to look at it objectively and deal with instances that occur on a case-by-case -case basis. There's no sort of feeling of, you know, I'm a fan, so I'm not going to look into certain things. I think the fact that I've got a knowledge of how the club works and a, and a massively devoted interest in it means that I can maybe pull a thread on something that other people wouldn't necessarily have, have noticed. And that's where the sort of the in-depth knowledge comes from and the coverage comes from the in-depth coverage comes from you look at the you know what's happening game to game changing of head coaches you know what's going on in the in the rookery end with the 1881 what's going on with the academy buildings at the at the training ground and then you know as you're alluding to you know speaking to to players that are maybe you know former players that have got interesting tales to tell yeah just trying to cover it in a way that a Watford fan would want to know about the club and learn more about the club and being able to hopefully rely on me to reflect that in a in a way that 
they would want it to be presented, I suppose. I mean, I'll never, I'm never going to please everyone all of the time. For example, I did an article which was at the end of last week about, you know, what would life be like for Watford if some of the VAR decisions had gone Watford's way. And it basically, you know, transpired in this parallel universe that Javi Graffia is still in charge. Troy Deeney sort of thought, oh, you know, I've scored a couple of penalties because we were given a couple. I'm going to play through the pain. You know, Kike Sanchez Flores was actually wanted by Newcastle because he didn't get the Watford job. <laughs> All this sort of stuff. So, you know, it's just sort of having a bit of fun with yeah. it, but also trying to make a serious point that we've been you know, right royally shafted by VAR yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah, it's a lovely fighter fantasy, and I do, yeah. I do enjoy one of those. Yeah. Um, but there, there's, there's, I think, for my reading, there's lots of different sides. There's two different sides to you. There's the, what I think are more of a newsy thing, but also the, the life of a Watford, I yeah. suppose. And, and this week, I think, there two articles. One was about the stadium development, yeah. um, and that's something they've talked about before. I mean, yeah. I remember Scott saying, when we win the championship, if we get over 15,000 regularly, we'll redo the main stand. He yeah. did that. Um, but it seemed to me that you've got a little bit more... They, they will probably move forward with something fairly soon? I think it is dependent on, on what happens on the field, obviously. But I think they're also thinking, well, as an example, we didn't only start to upgrade the stadium when we got into the, the Premier League. We started that right at the beginning. So they're not going to just go, right, well, we're not going to carry on doing anything if we get relegated. Um, they want to continue to improve the infrastructure of the, of the club. And it seems as if, you know, now they're trying to sort of push forward with it and looking at getting planning permission and just kicking on, especially with this side where we're stood now on Occupation Road by the Sir Elton John stand. Do this one. I think this is maybe less complicated yeah. than the other side. I remember um, at one of the fans' forums, they said it, it sort of is like a big Meccano set yes. that you can adapt and change yeah. quite easily. Uh, so there must not be as massive investment. But it does feel like... They, they could go ahead fairly soon then? Yeah, I think the, the, the feeling with them, you know, working with Populous, who, you know, obviously we highlighted the fact that they were working with the graphic design company that worked on the Tottenham Stadium after we'd been to the Tottenham Stadium, that they're trying to sort of finalise things. Planning permission could be, you know, within the next couple of months. I don't know if that's going to be enough time to get it done for next summer, but it sounds as if at the very latest it will be the summer after the view is that it could be done within a, a closed season period so this side at least and one thing that sort of came about was that obviously because it would have to expand back then you might have to go over occupation roads yeah. and sort of tunnel it and on a day like this when it's absolutely <laughs> hammering it down you think yeah cover it up now get it done because <laughs> then you're not going to get soaked but the, the other one is uh, the story you had this week it was about a throw-in uh, and it's, a, it's a, a legendary story that I was too, I wasn't even born when it happened. Yeah. But um, yeah, an ex Watford player who had an incident with a throw in that he just didn't remember. Indeed. Albert McLenaghan's throw in has sort of gone down in, in legend and has become infamous. And it was fascinating because I, I, I wasn't born either. I was born in 79, so it was after this. And I thought, right, I'm going to track him down. And I managed to find his number via his old club in um, Ballymoney approached him called him up and he was like what why do you want to talk to me and who the hell are you and is this a wind-up but eventually we you know nailed it down that I could go over there and speak about his career his life and obviously the throw-in and I when I left you know England to go over to go and uh, go to Belfast and see him I wasn't sure what he was going to say but he was it sounded as if he wanted to set the record straight in some form about it it transpired that he doesn't remember it 
1978, April the 29th, 1978. But because he didn't remember it. So he didn't remember this infamous moment, you know, the, the most infamous throw-in in the history of the club taken by this one dude, and uh, he doesn't remember it. But we were then able to sort of pull it apart and go, OK, right, you don't remember it happening. It's sort of insignificant to you because he said, you know, the way that I used to throw the ball when I was throwing the ball in the Irish leagues when I was playing, the way that I positioned my legs, I'd always slip over. So the whole thing is, yeah, he slipped over, he fell forward and the ball went behind him. But then we got a couple of different versions from Ian Bolton on the phone and we did this whilst he was there. Dennis Booth, who if everyone, anyone that came to the Telson Vicarage <laughs> Live would know that he was effing and jeffing and being very sort of fruity with his language. But it was great for Albert, I think, to be able to, one, speak to his, his former colleagues and his former teammates but then also for, to be able to get their uh, memories of this moment which he'd forgotten and then he basically sort of went after a couple more calls and being able to speak about it properly and pull it apart it probably did happen like okay. that and the ball did end up behind me but at the end of the day yeah it's great that you remember me I'm glad that you remember my name but it was only a throw-in. It was only a throw-in, but it's, it's, it's it wasn't. It wasn't only a throw-in. I assumed when I started reading it, and the fact that he'd sort of forgotten. I'm thinking, well, I've heard about it. You think it must have been a bit embarrassing. So maybe his brain has sort yeah. of tucked it away in the back of his mind, or yeah. deleted it as quickly as he could. Yeah. But it was quite fun to, to to see all the other ex-players sort of you speaking to him on the phone yeah. and like him sort of slowly coming around to maybe it did happen. Yeah. Um, how do we, uh, if you're what fan, you know, I certainly see on our Twitter feed, lots yeah. of what fans are already uh, consuming your stuff on, yeah. on The Athletic. How can they, how can we, uh, if you want to read it now, what can, what can they do? So go, obviously, uh, probably the best place to go to find the, the right links and everything is go to my Twitter, which is Adam Leventhal, or go to theathletic.com, click on the Watford badge and you'll be able to subscribe there and there's sort of various free trials and stuff. So you can, you can give it a go. Yeah. Give it a go for seven days. If you don't like it, then no, no harm done, nothing lost. But hopefully over, the, over time and today on this wet, horrible day, I'm, I'm, being, I'm embedded with the 1881. Uh. So I'm watching a game with the 1881 um, fan group and I've spoken to Roy and I'm going to go into the bunker and all that sort of stuff. So that'll be the piece for next week at some point. It should be fun. So yeah, get on board, sit, give it a go. Thank you so much uh, for listening to the podcast and thank you for everyone who gets involved with From the Rooker End via our different social medias or email podcast at fromtherookerend.com. I'm going to try and make more of a thing of it, so please keep sending those questions on a weekly basis. We'll probably put a tweet up saying, got any questions, and you can you can reply in the thread to that. Um, hopefully, from what you've already heard, a lot of questions we were getting, we've sort of covered those topics because we, yeah, we are Watford fans like you uh, and the things that are probably important to you are important to us. But we do like a challenging question. And Nick Cheney, I set us one, Mike. Who, in your opinion, your humble opinion, Michael, who is the strongest Watford player and what animal do you think that they could throw over the Vicarage Road Stadium? He's strongest to me for a number of reasons. Firstly, his mental strength and toughness. Um, and secondly, his physical prowess as well. I'm going to go for someone who's been welcomed back into the fold by Kike Sanchez Flores, Sebastian Pruerdal. He's had to show mental toughness to sort of stay in and around the squad when it didn't look like he was going to get a chance. He stayed, uh, he stayed ready uh, and he came back into uh, to the Watford side and played pretty well. But also, look at the man. He's like Thor. He's like a superhero. He's incredibly strong, 
powerful um just oh god it makes me all of a quiver does uh does seb so he's by far and away i think the strongest member of the watford squad and the supplementary question, what's the biggest animal he could throw over the stadium? Well, I think it surprised me if he hasn't done it already. Um, at the very least, um, a goat. Um, but I'm going to say he could probably um, capture and then chuck over the stadium a calf. A baby cow is what I'm going with. Seb, you're still my hero. Keep being amazing. Keep being strong. Love you, man. Oh, I'd forgotten how much you love Seb. Almost as much as John Eustace. But next question comes uh, mainly, actually, one that again came up on our WhatsApp group, uh, and someone did ask about it on Twitter, at Woff Podcast, is about the badge. Now, uh, this is a process that's been going on for a while now. Uh, They had thousands of entries. They whittled it down to about 30, I think it was, where a small group of fans got to choose the final five, which is now open, and at least people who are on the email list got to see it and give their opinion. You've seen the final five, Mike, now. Are they some designs that are going to make you want to change away from the current badge? Those of you that follow me on Twitter will probably know my feelings already. Uh, I'm pro-keeping the current badge. Um, for me, I think it is a stag. It's a heart that represents Hertfordshire. Um, and that's you know that's been our home throughout our history since 1881. I think it tells a story. I think it is unique. I think the, the, the style of the badge, the shape is different. The colours are bright and bold. It just it represents Watford to me. Uh, and I know that I've grown up with it and so forth. Therefore, it's special to, to me. I don't mind admitting that. But I think there's a story there. It, it's intriguing and if you dig under the surface then you you find out what it's all about you know the new badges i I think i like some of them i like elements of some of them i just can't see any of them as the as the watford badge i think there's there's merit to them all um they're bright they're bold and there's the hornet there which is obviously the club something the club were looking to to push and and to maybe use as more of a, a, a as a brand element more and more we've seen the hornet creeping into various bits and bobs from the from the club so there's evidently a desire for that that hornet to feature heavily but i think they range from i, I can't see them on the on on the shirt necessarily i can't see them on the on the training kit um i can't see them sort of transposing well across to to everything that you need a need a badge to to do um, I think some of them look like they're um, sort of American, if you like, is probably the best way to, to describe them. Um, something you'd see associated to um, to perhaps an NHL team or a or a, or a baseball or or basketball team. Um, and perhaps you know, perhaps I'm just stuck in my ways. I don't know, but I'm I'm prepared to admit that my vote, as it stands, would be would be for the for the heritage for our for our current badge. I don't personally see see the need to change it. I do understand that some people don't necessarily associate you know with the with the moose some of us call it the moose um with a more from a for a more affectionate point of view other people don't like it because they don't like it they call it the moose because they they don't don't really like it and i understand why those guys feel like perhaps something more maybe more dynamic would be would be their argument maybe and certainly some of these are more dynamic but I just think the, the existing badge is Watford. It tells a story about where we're based. Um, it's unique. It's interesting. Uh, and these ones, for me, to be honest, they, they just don't cut it. It's a terrific design work. Uh, you know, anyone who's ever tried to design anything when they haven't had budget for a designer at work or have tried to pu- pull something together will know just how difficult it is to, to do this. So thoroughly impressed, really impressed with, with what's come forward. But for me, 
it's the most important part of the off-field sort of activity if you like the badge it means so much it's seen around the world it's seen on everything on the shirt on uh, computer games on stationery on the on the stadium on the tv um, and for me Moosey still wins I'm afraid so uh, I'll be getting my vote that'll be getting my vote how the badge options have been taken in Hornet Heaven uh, will be quite interesting. There's another episode from Series 11, Episode 4, the final episode of the series. Uh, it's been such a fantastic series, this. Um, I'm happy to be working on, this sh- on the show with Ollie, the writer, and Colin, uh, who is the voice, voice and voices of uh, the characters of Hornet Heaven. This current series really encompasses what the series is all about. Uh, and Episode 4, which... Colin has one character brilliantly. I'll, I'll let you listen to the, the episode, which will be out later in this week. But it really sort of brings together and finalises all the different types of episodes and the different ways life up in Hornet Heaven might be like. Episode four, which is called The Four People You Should Meet in Hornet Heaven, is out this week. Here's a little clip. Bill Mainwood, Hornet Heaven's head of programmes, was in the atrium. Bill was aware that many Watford fans were worried about the way the team had started the season, but the latest arrival from the land of the living seemed to be in a state of panic. We're going down! It's a disaster! Relax, Douglas. It's important to realise there's a more holistic aspect to supporting Watford. Holistic? There's a holobus aspect to supporting Watford. I'm bloody livid. I'm hating my life right now. Well, um, maybe your afterlife will have... My afterlife is going to have a kapoo aspect too. It's going to be a pile of kapoo. Why don't you come on one of my magical history tours? Would that be a plan? A plan? I tell you, needs a plan. Kike Sanchez, suave, handsome, boring football, Flores needs a plan. So, two games in a week against two blue teams. And while Watford are currently in a bit of a blue situation. Everton away in the, in the League Cup DCW. You're thinking, we need, well, we need to expand somehow. Rest, but also play some play, players. Is, is it Queener? Is a, is a must? Does Jerry and Bobby have to, to be rested? What options do we have? Do, do we have to sling on Sandolby from the, uh, from the under-23s? Give him some minutes. Give us some more options. Well, he's, he's certainly got a very impressive scoring record, hasn't he, for the under-23s who were top of the league in their division. They're flying. And I heard a few people around me sort of saying, oh, that lad, that Sam lad from Leeds, why don't we give him a go? So there's starting to be a little bit of a, yeah. a little, you know, bubbling under of support for him. But I, I think it might be too early for him still. I mean, I'm going to have five minutes, ten minutes at the yeah, end yeah, of the maybe. sub. But the problem is we, we don't have a lot of options. You can't change the whole team like we had done in previous League Cup matches. I mean, he, he might make one or two changes. I would like to see Keener play. I think he's a tremendously talented player. He, he has hasn't got the opportunities this season or, or really last season since he broke in the team. He didn't really kick on from those few exciting performances that we saw him. So give him a go, why not? But I think the, the confidence issue is, is the big thing. We, we don't want to go to Everton and lose the game. It's a, you know, so we're not that bothered about the League Cup really in the grand scheme of things, especially this season when we're in a relegation battle. But it'd be nice to beat Everton, of course, for for obvious reasons. Uh, it, it could well finish Marco Silva off as well because <laughs> they lost today against Brighton, the last minute own goal. I'd like to see us go there and give it a bash, you know, and maybe make one or two changes. Give Gray a start, I think. I think he made a difference when he came on, but 
play him up front, give him a go, maybe make one or two changes. But I think, you know, just go for it, do what you can. Dave touched on it there as well. They're in a similar position in that they need something to get their confidence back. They, they Obviously, they won last weekend, but they are hovering dangerously close to the relegation zone themselves and with the money they spent they won't be happy with that at all and if, if Silver is still in charge come Tuesday then he'll want to to get a victory for almost for his job's sake so we're back here at the Vic next Saturday with a late kickoff against Chelsea uh, you're going to see much difference next week you think of that Watford team uh, Isaac success can he, can he, he might be the difference Mike Isaac success he won't be terrible <laughs> he might be he won't be terrible okay. um, look, they just need to DCW is absolutely right we shouldn't be patting ourselves on the back after that but I do think we need to look at it in, in context it's something it's something we didn't lose um, games against Bournemouth incredibly tricky as, as we know d- down the years so we had to win today really we're well and truly up against it uh, I think most people have come to terms with the fact this is just a relegation battle that's all it is so I guess not losing is something not winning is hugely disappointing not much to shout about another day I probably won't watch match of the day massive 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 game we need a big atmosphere next week but we need the players to step up as well there's only there's only 11 14 guys that can do it and it ain't us <laughs> thank you very much for listening and thank you very much for following us on social media at what the podcast if you aren't already on Instagram Facebook and Twitter but to take us out on the podcast with a massive come on yawns it's Arlo come